Welcome back to Inside the Mind. This episode is with Ben St. Lawrence, uh, previous Australian 10,000 metre record holder, 214 marathoner. Talk about his quick 5Kers in this chat as well. This guy's uh, done it all and somebody in the sport that I look up to massively. I just think he's so uh, grounded, so wise. Um, I got asked, I did this like little interview thing a couple of weeks ago and I had to list like five people I look up to in sport in Australia. Didn't have to be runners, but Ben St. Lawrence was definitely one of the five. I just feel like he's just an amazing role model in Australian distance running. And every time I see him, he just seems to be so calm and, um, I don't know, just complete as an individual. He's a dad now as well, so the first time we've got a dad on the show. Um, he'd just come off Sydney Marathon maybe two months ago as well. So we talk about his result there, which if you are not aware, he ran three hours and nine minutes. Um, which is uh, like a long way off his 214 PB, but we talk about his kind of mentality and what happened in that race and um, you know how hard it was for him to get to the finish line that day. A massive thanks to all the people who have sent in requests of people to interview. Kind of addressed it in the weekly show that um, it's very, very difficult to have these conversations with people that I don't have a relationship with or have never spoken to before. So I have got all the eight people I've got locked in are pretty much like all people that that you know and have had on the show before and we've had like interactions with because I do feel like some of the questions and some of the directions of the conversation could be pretty heavy and it's hard to do that off the cuff with someone that you don't already have a relationship with. Um, We've got another three episodes I think coming out this week so strap yourself in for those ones. Uh, weekly show comes out Wednesday as well. But sit back, relax, enjoy a bit of story time with Ben St. Lawrence, and um, yeah, enjoy this third episode of Inside the Mind. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, also remember the Movember movement, if you've got uh, the means to be able to donate towards that. Uh, more than a run, thanks to Lululemon also coming up. I'll put those links in the show notes as well. And yeah, massive thanks for downloading the show. See you. Welcome to Inside the Mind. This is going to be our third episode. Ben St. Lawrence, who's someone who's been uh, very generous with their time over the last six years of the Inside Rain podcast being in the works. Benny, thanks for giving us some time. No worries, Brody. Thanks for having me on, mate. Ben, last time I saw you, we were uh, both checking out of the same lobby at uh, the Sydney Marathon, and um, I checked out a bit before you, and then the receptionist, um, what is that what they're called, at the front of the hotel lobby when you check out? I think it's a receptionist. She asked you how your, how your marathon went, and you told her that you'd ran 3.09, um, and then she congratulated you, and I was sitting there as a bit of a fly on the wall thinking, oh, this is going to be very interesting how he responds as someone who was a, you know, or still is a 27-minute 10K guy, previous Australian record holder, who'd had an obviously disappointing result at uh, Sydney, but did get himself to the finish line. And I was very impressed with how you gave her the time and you kind of spoke. You know, you didn't go into massive detail about who you were or anything like that, but your positivity um, definitely shone through when talking to someone who didn't quite know who they were talking to. Yeah, I don't actually remember that interaction, uh, but that's funny. It's always hard when you've had what you would consider an absolute shocker, but what someone you know with limited running knowledge or even someone who who runs a lot um who you know 309 might have been a huge pb for someone so you, you, it's always difficult to answer that question and 
yeah, look, to be honest, at that point, I was probably just relieved that it was over. And so it was probably easy to be positive about it at the time. And um, yeah, checking out, I was checking out to go and see my, my wife and, you know, baby daughter. And so the race was already behind me. So it's easy to sort of, um, yeah, put it behind you and move on to some positive things to think about. Yeah, I was just blown away by your positivity. I'm just like, you could have been down in the dumps massively, but you, you seem to handle it um, really well. And is that something, like, have you been someone who's moved on from uh, disappointing results quick over the years? Yes and no. I think, um, like, bubbling underneath that positivity was still a bit of, you know, quite a bit of disappointment and a bit of um, not, not being 100% sure what had gone wrong at that point. But I think one thing I've always been good at is, controlling the controllables and not worrying too much about the things that are outside of my control and so I guess at that point the race was done and dusted and there was no point being miserable about it Um, I knew that over the coming weeks I was going to delve a bit deeper into what went wrong and you know try to come up with some action items or things that I could actually control coming out of it but yeah at that point um, I'd had a bunch of my athletes that I coached run really well that day and like I said, I was going to see my wife and daughter and, um, you know, the event itself was a huge success and I got to stay at a nice hotel. And so, yeah, there were lots of positives around that. And I think maybe, um, I guess, compartmentalising is something that I'm quite good at. So, yeah, the race, my race result was shit, but that was only one part of what was happening that day and that weekend and that week. So I was just sort of putting some positive energy towards yeah, other areas of my life at that point, I guess. Mm. And like a month and a bit on now, um, it was sickness, Benny. Was that what happened? Like you were sick lead into it? Yeah, no, I was healthy, like leading the week of. And then that day started getting a, a funny stomach ache. Um, I was out coaching at the GPS carnival out at Homebush and a weird sort of stomach ache in one part of my abdomen and thought, no, it'll be fine. But it got progressively worse that afternoon. And then into the evening, I had some some fever and like chills and didn't really sleep i was waking up sweating and uh without going into too much detail possibly was a gallbladder attack or or something like that um and definitely shouldn't have lined up but being the eternal optimist and quite stubborn i just thought well i'll get up and and prepare as if i'm going to race and then once i was up it's like oh well i'll just go to the start line and and then make a decision and then it was i'll just get through the warm-up and then decide and you know, if, if I'd had a coach with me or if even if my wife Katie would be staying with me, she would have talked me out of racing. But because I was there on my own, I was like, no, I'll be right. And, yeah, got got a few K in and, and the pain was, yeah, almost unbearable. So pulled the pin at 12K. I don't, you know, anyone who follows me on social media would have seen my post. I, I stopped at 12K, took my bib off and started to walk through Barangaroo. Um, I was going to head back to the, the hotel and I got maybe – two minutes up this set of stairs and I just thought oh, I can't I can't not finish this um, the like uh, I've always tried to, to finish things I start and so I pin pin my bib back on as I walked down the stairs and then joined back in and just made it a, a mission to try to get to the finish and so it was it was rough it was it was probably one of the hardest physical things I've ever had to do um, get get to the finish line but I'm I'm proud that I did and I'm I've had a lot of positive feedback from people saying that they respected the fact that I, you know, had an absolute shock of it still just got to the finish line and I'm I'm glad I did. What about mentally? Like you say it was hard physically to get through that last like 30K, but like once you'd made the decision, were you then like content and you're kind of going easy on yourself or were you then in a state of like negativity for a lot of that last 30K? 
No, look, I think because, like, if it had been me taking the soft option and and pulling the pin because I wasn't having a great day or or something like that, I would have been angry at myself. But I just physically could not have continued or could not have gone any faster. So at that point, it was my mindset shifted from let's go and run a fast marathon, try and you know finish on the podium in the Australian Championships to let's just you know, this is survival. Like let's see how how tough you are. Let's get through this. And so I was able to sort of put the mental energy into that. I think there was a bit of embarrassment, like running past people who kind of looking at me funny thinking, what, like, what's going on here? Why is he having such a shocker? And then other people like saying, you're looking great, Benny, great work. <laughs> and like, you, you kind of just like, oh, and to be honest, there were a few points during the race where I was impressed with how constant the crowd support was. But of any race where I wish there were periods without any crowd, that was probably one of them. I just wanted to kind of get through it without anyone seeing. But, yeah, look, it was um, it was a, a very different marathon experience. Um, but it was, yeah, still some positives to take out of it. And, yeah, I, look, I knew something physically was wrong. So I didn't feel any guilt in that I was taking the soft option or anything like that. How's the body now? Like, I know we're trying to, like, your name's been popping up about, you know, potentially go to qualify for the Olympics again and look at some ranking points and things like that. Like, where's your running at as we're sitting here middle of November? Yeah, so following that, um, what happened that weekend, I did a lot of uh, tests, like worked with GP and some specialists to try to get to the bottom of it. And and they think it was probably a, a gallbladder attack, but I had all the stomach ultrasounds and there's no stones in there or anything so physically um i was fine a week later so i've got back into training and um i've found out in the last week or so two weeks ago maybe that uh i got to start at osaka marathon so that'll be okay to work towards at the end of feb next year um i just want to try to run a pb so my pb is 214 i would love to get under that um i'm 42 now Age, as you say, age can't be an excuse when we've got people like Lisa and Sinead smashing it into their mid-40s. And they are, you know, an absolute inspiration for someone else who's approaching their mid-40s. So who knows how preparation will go, whether I'll be any chance of going a long way under that. But, yeah, I've set myself the goal of I just want to try and prepare as well as I can and, and a PB would be great. And if I can go a long way under that, then that's even better. That's exciting. I think, like, everyone's pretty much running a soccer marathon. Like yes. no, no one's staying home. Yeah. Are you, you I'm racing. Moose is racing. Um, I'm trying to think who else is racing. There's, I've just said everyone, but now I've just listed two people. But um, uh, uh, One of the guys I coach um, and a few others from Run Crew applied as well. So we'll hopefully be finding out soon. Yeah. Oh, did you not find out like two weeks ago? A week ago? Yeah, I found oh, out. Oh, you found out. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so they're in the same boat. Everyone know either way? I think so. I think it was like a very like general population like yeah. ballot. And then, because oh, I was asking Moose, like when now do they ask you what your PB is and like which start line and stuff you're on? So yeah. he said that comes a bit later when the website gets updated and stuff. Hey, Benny, um, one of the things I asked Dave and Andy, one of the first questions was to give your mental health a score out of 10 at the moment. What are you rolling with? Give myself a seven. Okay. That's good. I was going to say no sevens because, like... Is that the easy answer? Well, a seven's like, you know, if you take out a seven, six, it's like, oh, there's some questions about six, and it's like eight, it's like eight, you're fine. The other two boys went eight, but, yeah, tell me why seven. 
Um, I think I think normally I operate around like an eight or a nine. I'm, I'm generally a pretty happy, happy, positive person, and you know the occasional score of six, I guess, and, and lower when things go on. But seven, why have I knocked myself one off? I think just with with being a coach, um, you have good days and bad days, and uh, being a full-time coach, I've coached quite a lot of people. And earlier today, I was just helping a couple of my athletes through tough periods, whether that be injury, illness, or just um, you know some of those tougher uh, conversations you have to have with your athletes. Like you ride the highs with them, but you also um, ride the lows with them as well. And I think I sort of empathise and, and carry some of that um, load myself when the athletes are either injured or or sick or you know going through a really rough patch where we're trying to figure out what's wrong um, and probably shoulder a bit of obviously a bit of responsibility with that so you feel a little bit um, responsible for you know whether it's an injury or a slump in form and so that probably um, drags my own mental health down a little bit um, but uh, I think I mentioned off air that I'll be heading out to a a meet tonight and hopefully get some big PBs and positive performances and then I you know that lifts me up to a nine and a ten out of ten when I go through those moments as a coach as well so yeah seven's still good but just yeah probably had some tough conversations today that, that yeah put me on edge a little bit what do you do to um not wear that baggage like what have you got in place as a as a coach to like because it's got to be hard. Like you're having conversations. There's always people injured and stuff in running. Like, what kind of things do you put in place to not wear it too much that then it affects your mental health? Yeah, I think probably just putting good, um, I guess, good communication is is key. Um, so making sure there's an open line of communication with people, and then putting putting plans in place. So, like I said, with my own running and my own mental health, it's controlling the controllables and trying not to let what you can't control affect you too much. And so I guess that that relates to coaching as well. So if I can give the best advice I can and put the best plan in place, um, you know, I've really sort of done all that I can. And if it, if it still goes awry, you try not to wear too much of that responsibility um, or feel, feel guilt or, you know, anything associated with that. It's just sometimes these things happen. And, yeah, that's probably key for me. Yeah, and, like... When you're when you're planning like that would obviously I can imagine you're a super prepared guy that you're planning to not have any issues. They still always arise, but I can I could maybe imagine that you'd be pretty um, thoroughly planned so you're kind of avoiding stuff that can potentially come up. I try to be, yeah. Um, could always do better, and that's the thing though with with high performance running is that I could coach people and they would have zero injury risk but they also would never get close to their potential in terms of mm. you know how high they you know what they want to achieve and so it's finding that balance between pushing uh in pursuit of excellence but also holding back enough to allow for sustainable training and sometimes it's hard to know exactly where that line is as a coach and as an athlete like we all uh get ourselves injured from time to time so yeah that's probably a challenge that um, we all face as athletes and coaches. Yeah. How did your mindset change when um, you become a dad? Oh, look, that that definitely helps put things into perspective. I'm sure you felt the same. It's it's like yeah, there you can you can be having a tough day, and then when I walk through the front door, or I look over at my daughter, and she's just 
you know, huge smile on her face. Um, yeah, it really, it really helps. Um, yeah, put things into perspective for sure. Yeah, but being, I found it was hard. The um, like just like bringing up a human, like it's such a shock. Like you cannot prepare for it. We went out for lunch with some friends who are like 33 weeks pregnant on um saturday and you're trying to kind of explain to them like how much your life changes and i'm sure people tried to do it to us as well when we were expecting but um it's just yes that's amazing like seeing life but it's a whole like you're talking about stress of coaching people like stress of having a human that you've got to look after i know for me it was just like wow this is like just flipped our lives upside down and a huge huge challenge yeah definitely um I think there's there's no true off switch like you can't yeah. you can't say all right that's been a really tough weekend I'm going to go home and I'm just going to lay on the couch and binge watch a TV show for a couple of hours or watch a movie or you know just completely switch off from the world because you just can't do that anymore when you're looking after a little human and mm. so um yeah that's been probably one area where I I've definitely gotten sick a lot more since having Goldie um, and I think some of that might just be to due to like a little less recovery time and yeah downtime sleep so, sleep yeah. time yeah outweigh the negatives that's for sure oh yeah for sure would this year be the um I was thinking about this the other day like 2023 you can kind of tick off all the things you've done but I also think it's been the year where I've had the less amount of sleep would you be the same yeah 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 which can obviously impact running performance. And, and I feel like it can bring up yeah, everything else gets a bit stressful, like the running gets a bit harder, work gets a bit st- more stressful, kind of right back to emails gets harder to do, all those kind of the coaching stuff you're kind of talking about. And that's for me when it's just like, all right, I can feel like that eight might be dropping to a seven, which is dropping to a six until you can kind of get your head above water sometimes to be able to like cope with it. Yeah, definitely. I can't remember who used this analogy first, but you know those – people who spin plates oh yeah yeah and like you know one plate might be your family and another plate is your coaching and another plate is uh your own running and you know housework things like that and like the the plate that you spend so much time spinning at the moment for me is is being a father and you know family so you're, you're constantly having to go back and spin that plate a little bit more and the more time you spend spinning that one some of the other plates start to wobble a bit as if they're going to fall off and uh yeah, I think it's important just to, I guess, have good time management and make sure you're spending a bit of time at each one of those plates, just giving it another nudge and, and make sure they're not toppling over. Yeah, that's a good one. Have you ever um, had to drop a plate for the sake of, like, making sure you can spin the others? And it doesn't have to be, like, recently, but anything you can think back to when you're like, okay, this ain't good for me, I've taken on too much, got to start smashing a plate. <laughs> I don't think I've ever smashed one, but definitely um, I think, because I'm quite flexible with my own training, that's a plate that I can, that, you know, that, that can do without spinning from time to time. And I, I try to prioritise family and my own coaching. And I just know that that plate will sort of balance pretty well. And then if I need to come home and do a, a late run on a treadmill or, um, you know, miss out on a training with the group, you know, and then just do my own session afterwards, things like that, I, I can always do that. So... Um, I think having that flexibility is good, but I haven't smashed any plates yet, so hopefully we don't need to. Yeah, okay. Do you ever feel like you need more, like, 
be more selfish though like everything else you do seems to be for other people in your family and your athletes and you know going to different training sessions and you're talking about driving to Bankstown tonight like do you ever get to a stage where it frustrates you that you don't have enough time for you when you're own running sometimes but but I, I get so much out of all of those other areas that mm. that yeah but yeah like I wish there were some more hours in some days for sure yeah Take me back to the Ben St. Lawrence as like the Olympic, the, the Olympian, some big high performance stuff. Like I think I've seen you before a couple of races and you seem very relaxed and chilled out. Has it always been that way? Yeah, I've, I've always, no, actually as a kid, I, you know, as a junior, I got so nervous that I would throw up before races. Really? Yeah. Like I would get really anxious and, and so nervous, um, I'm not sure when that shifted. Maybe, maybe when I, you know, I had a, some time off running, and then by the time I came back, I was just more mature. And I do remember my first ever international race. I, I made one of the Chiba Ekaden relays pretty early in my comeback, and I sort of felt like I was way out of my depth there. And I remember getting so nervous for that race. But I think just over time, developed a bit, a bit of a, you know, thick skin when it came to racing and was was pretty much able to get the best out of myself on race day so just sort of never let nerves get to me too much i tried to embrace the energy and and use the the occasion to lift myself up a little bit um so yeah never got never got overly nervous obviously pretty nervous when you you get to an olympics and and that sort of thing you are um you know shitting yourself a little bit in the uh in the the corner by all these you know absolute superstars and yeah, it's it's it would be easy to get overwhelmed, but I I think I managed not to. What strategies did you put in place though? Like, were you just like, you know, putting it into perspective or breath work or like, tell us about like you're sitting in there, Galen Rupp, Mo Farah, all Kenyans, the Ethiopians. Like, how do you how do you keep calm? Yeah, I'm a big believer in in that most of the work's already done. So, other than just going out and running twenty five laps as fast as you can. Um, you know, executing fairly well, there's not much else to worry about, really. Um, so I actually, you know, I used to love getting getting to the start line and just knowing that, all right, all the work's done, all the, all the planning, all the thinking um, is done, and now we just get to go out and race. And so I, I think I used to be able to channel that into some, some positive energy and I would have some, you know, some, some mantras or, like, goals that I had within the race and and I was just looking forward to to getting out there and running I think it's almost a relief once once the gun goes off so almost like dumb it down just like the hard stuff's done this is just the the execution part yeah yeah it's not a complicated sport is it when you think about it not at all what about when um you get that voice in your head that like the pace has picked up and you're not sure if you can hang on or you know those kind of negative thoughts that you sometimes get in a race especially the track stuff when you're just going around and around what do you do in that situation? Yeah, I, I often did, like, before I knew that it was called breath work, I, I, oh, yeah. I did focus on my breathing. So I would I would have a breathing to step rhythm. So I would, if I was going harder, to be two steps for a breath in, one step for a breath out. And if I, was, if I found myself getting right up to the red line where you're almost panicking and blowing up and your heart's beating through your mouth, um, I would really focus on my steps and my breathing, even if that just got me through. 100 meters 200 meters it just helped to settle things probably brought my heart rate down a little bit and just was able to find that rhythm you know when you're right up against that red line if you can just hold yourself 
back from it without crossing over it. You, you can sort of, you know, save a blower. Mm. And the mantras, can you remember what ones you went with? Oh, just um, things like fast rhythm or mm. um, tap, 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 like just thinking that just keep tapping the feet as light as you can and keep moving forward. Um, forward momentum was another one when I was getting yeah close to my limit in a race I would often arch the back a bit too much and sort of sit down into my stride so I would try to um, forward momentum would just tell me to sort of you know hold my form together and maybe get a slight forward lean and just keep keep driving forward um, yeah look sometimes there's nothing you can do it's just survival mode and, and you're just absolutely smashing yourself out and those are tough when it's when it's a 10k race and you're blowing up when you're seeing 13 laps to go that's a tough day <laughs> there would have been um races that would be a blur mentally as well thinking back at them like what was that big one you come second at melbourne didn't you it was um was it old zadapec old no sorry yeah. old olympic park big kick finish you rolled i reckon collis and maybe a couple of americans were there what was that race was this a 5K? 5K, or? yeah. Uh, that was Melbourne Track Classic 2000. Was, was Legat there? No. Yeah, Legat. Yeah, yeah. Legat. He yeah. won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, thinking back to that, can you remember that race or is it all just a blur because you're just, like, putting these managers through and just run as fast as you can? No, I, I can remember it pretty clearly. Um, I think the World Champs standard at the time was 1320, 13, maybe, or 21. And so the goal for that race was just to run the well finish as highly as i could but also try to run that world champs a standard for the daegu world champs but i also knew that i was in phenomenal shape and um, i knew that it was a rare occasion to have a strong field like that mm. who have all had to travel from the other side of the world to come and race us normally it's the other way around um and i really wanted to um i had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because i was still working full time um holding down a job in Sydney and, you know, um, paying my way pretty much everywhere. And uh, I knew these professionals were coming down and I was like, yeah, I'm going to show you guys. So um, early on in the race, I was just being as smooth as possible and just sitting in. Um, I didn't have to lead at all and just getting dragged around. But then as the as we got closer and closer to the finish, there were less and less of us still involved in the race. And with 500 to go, I was just getting ready to make a move. I was sitting on... Um, Matt Tegenkamp. Yeah, that's right. He was sitting. He was sitting behind Chris. No, Selinski was leading. Then it was Legat, and then Tegenkamp, I think. And I was in fourth, um, coming into five hundred to go. And I felt like some separation was about to happen between uh, the top two and Tegenkamp. And so I just went to go around, and it was just as we were hitting some lapped runners. And I think I had to go out into lane three from memory. And so I sort of stalled and. and just hesitated a little bit and it allowed um, Selinski and Legat to get maybe five metres. And I was like, oh, that's all right. I'm still going to still gonna get the standard here. you just got to kick as hard as you can. And as I started kicking, I actually caught back up to those two and um, I caught them maybe halfway down the back straight and Selinski was still leading and I just thought, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go around both of them and try and, yeah, try and win. Right. Yeah. And so I was storming down the back straight and like at that Point, I was moving faster than they were. I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to win this. But just as I got up to their shoulder, I think Legat sensed that I was there. And so he went around Selinski as well. And then I latched on to Bernard and I think round from about 200 to go until 
90 metres to go. I still thought I was a shot because he hadn't hadn't managed to drop me at all. I was still on his shoulder, but then someone threw a fridge at me in the home straight. <laughs> I think he ran 13.08 and I ran 13.10 and then Selinski was coming back at me down the straight, but I managed to hold him off and, yeah, ran 13.10, so that was a 15-second PB. But that was one of those races where it all just, you know, other than I didn't quite win it, but it's one of those races where when I wanted my legs to work, they did, and, um, yeah, I was able to yeah get get my second Australian 5K title um, that night and, yeah, beat a few pretty well-credentialed runners. There were, I think, five or six sub-13-minute guys in that race. 13.10 in Australia in old spikes. We were just talking on the show last night. The qualifier is 13.05. Like, it's, um, it's, there wouldn't be too many Australians who are run quicker than 13.10 on Australian soil. Obviously, Mottram at the Con Games. Yeah, I think it's just Mottram and then myself. Uh, like I was the, the second fastest um, Australian on Australian soil. Yeah, that's and pretty amazing. I think that was pretty surreal because Mottram was a guy I, I really looked up to as I was coming into the sport and then um, he was in that race that night. So it was kind of cool to, you know, I know it wasn't the same level of Craig Mottram that was oh. running at the games, but it was still pretty cool. Claim that, mate, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching it. It was just amazing, like, kick finish. Um, the mental health would have been pretty good that night, I could imagine. You would have been 10 out of 10. That's the kind of feelings I reckon you could, well, from the outside, look it in. I'm, I'm assuming it was. Like, if you oh, want to bottle that feeling, does it? Yeah, it doesn't get better than that in terms of, um, it was a, a real breakthrough, probably ran better than anyone expected that I would. Um, my parents had flown down mm. to watch from Sydney and, uh, like, my coach and manager and everyone were there. So it was, yeah, it was a really cool night, but... The problem with a, a night that goes so well is that you then raise your expectations and, and so does everybody else. And so then it, it's it's impossible to have another night like that pretty much. Um, so I just, you know, based on that, I thought, oh, look, my, my PB is going to be under 13 minutes before too long. And, yeah, probably um, it took me another two years to run 13.10 again, you know. So that was the highlight there. I, I had some other good races in 2011, but then went through a rough patch and things got a lot harder. And yeah, so those highs are amazing, but then it's pretty hard to sustain that level of um, yeah level of competition. Two part question. The first part, like, what do you put into place when you're going through a slump or like an injury or whatever to look after your mental health? Um, and then the second part is like, did you do anything to block out that outside noise of like people talking about your performances and stuff if they weren't so good or not living up to expectations? Um, so the first part was, I feel like I keep, keep going back to this and maybe this was just my go-to was, you know, if I was injured or if I was going through a slump, it's, it was really just bring it back to basics. So if I was injured, rather than getting up each day and just being angry that I was injured, it was like, well, what, what can I do today to get me one step closer to not being injured or to getting back to levels of performance like I had that night in Melbourne? So whether that would be, you know, if I was on a cross-training plan, it was like, all right, let's go and attack this cross-training, tick that off, and then focus on something else for today rather than just sort of spending the whole day, you know, being angry that I was injured. Um, so I think having a, a good plan of action ticking it off and then moving on and, and trying to have something else. And so I think I was lucky that for most of my running career, I also worked and I you know, got into coaching quite a long time ago as well. So I had a thing, other things that I could focus on. 
Um, and what was the second part? Oh, how to block out. Yeah, like other people's expectations or like, I guess the media side of thing wouldn't have been huge with athletics and stuff and social media and stuff. But even just like with Sydney the other week, you know, people, you're thinking like you'll let people down or there's going to be people talking about your performances and stuff. Yeah, I, that never really got to me too much. And maybe it's because social media wasn't a huge thing back then. Um, I didn't mind like a little bit of negativity. I found I could, I could, you know, if I heard that someone had been talking shit or whatever, it was actually a bit of um, motivation for me. You know, I'll prove you wrong kind of thing. So I was able to turn that into a bit of motivation. But yeah, I've never been overly concerned about what other people said about me. I figured that if they were, if they were saying talking shit about me it was probably because they didn't understand me or my situation um and if they met me we'd probably get on pretty well um and vice versa so yeah i never never stress too much about what other people think geez you're a rounded guy you seem so relaxed you just got this all figured out Betty. i reckon we put that seven up to a nine with some of these responses <laughs> hey do you um do you talk to people regularly about your mental health like we often compare splits or k's per week and how you kind of track and physically but do you often talk to people about how you go mentally not a lot i probably it's one thing that i i could definitely do a bit better um i'm good at giving advice and and being someone that others can talk to but i probably um could definitely open up a little bit more myself um so I, I definitely do, and, and I've got some people close to me that I can talk to. But, yeah, I'm, I'm also, uh, I don't know, I like to be quite stoic, I guess, and, and not, um, not, not feel like I'm burdening other people with my problems, and I know I wouldn't be. Um, and I know that, you know, this series of, of talks you're doing is um, to do with Movember and um, opening up lines of conversation particularly amongst men so um, I should practice what I preach and, and definitely talk a little bit more about that sort of thing um, to people close to me um, so yeah that's that's something I could definitely do better at yeah but it sounds like you, you, you've got so many good strategies in place anyway that it's kind of like you, you, you know you're almost letting it speak through your actions I guess yeah which is yeah an interesting one um, what about like that? Have you ever used like a sports psych and stuff? When you like you would have made that many teams, like were they available to you and like talking about like the visualization or strategies you can use in races and stuff like that? I never worked with one, um, and that's probably something I would do differently if I if I went back to that that level of competition again. I would probably um, make use of a sports psychologist. Some of the athletes I coach now. Um, work with sports psychologists and it seems to help a lot um but it's not something i i ever did um and that's not because i didn't think it'd be worthwhile it was just yeah i feel like i don't know i it's it's something that you've only got like when you're working and running and you know there's only so much time for everything and i think that was probably something i'd put put down the list of priorities like it was something i always wanted to do but just never got around to doing yeah was there, was there a stigma around it as well you think i don't know i don't feel like there was i didn't like that's not why i didn't yeah. i didn't feel the reason why i shouldn't it's no. just that i get your reason as someone who pays for a gym membership that doesn't go to the gym very often i i understand what you're talking about yeah yeah and it's interesting though because 
so the, the the two university degrees I did one was human movement so like exercise science and the other one was social science psychology and I did those because I thought that one day I would like to get into sports psychology so I went from wanting to do it as a career to not even using when I was an athlete so it was interesting but do you think you've got some of those skills that you'd get from a sports psychologist and you're kind of using them as you're going that's that's what I thought hmm. yeah and, and there was probably some truth to that but you know just like people even who if study, there's not it sounds good yeah <laughs> and, but people who, who study strength training still benefit from having their own hmm. strength like yeah hey um what does your mind do tell me about how you feel off different types of runs so like do you get a kick mentally out of a long run compared to like an easy jog or some hill reps or a track workout or a threshold or like do you, do you, you know what I mean like I come off yeah. the track and I feel like I can walk through a wall and I'm happy to fight anyone kind of thing even though I'd get the shit battled out of me but like I'm interested to hear what other people's brains do after different types of runs yeah that's funny um, yeah so like hard sessions where you're just absolutely going to the well and you come off it with just endorphins buzzing yeah that's that's like being high you know that's a good feeling um and if you could bottle that you'd make a lot of money um so coming off those sessions yeah i want to take on the world i want to you know if i went and did a good track session tomorrow I'd be like all right bring it on i'm going to go and break jack rayner's 10k australian record i'm going to get that back you know like i'd be fired up in that, in that way um but then you know, this morning I went out for a 90-minute run on the trails here near my house in the Blue Mountains and took took the three dogs for the first half of that run and went down, you know, alongside a river through a rainforest. And so that for me is like meditation. As long as the dogs are behaving themselves, that's, that's like a very different mindset. I come off that just, you know, relaxed and uh, had some time in nature and some time with my dogs, which are great for my mental health. Um, so that's a very different it's still training but to me that's also recreation and i come off that just feeling relaxed um long runs i think finishing that because that was always you know the sunday it was one of the toughest sessions of the week i think it was a sense of achievement and relief almost at ticking another week off and when i was training very hard from sunday morning until tuesday evening which was my next hard session even though i would do two runs in a gym session on Monday it felt like my weekend started then because I didn't have to train really hard from Sunday morning all the way through till Tuesday evening so that was a sense of relief I guess and and satisfaction having completed it just on that and sorry to interrupt but are you the kind of guy as well that when you check your Strava Monday morning and there's nothing there it's just like oh I must be a bit unfit no no because sometimes I'm like that you just bang out a 160k week you, you get that sense of accomplishment and then you wake up Monday and you look and you're like we're on zero we're starting again like we've got to rebuild no I don't I don't feel like that. I understand yeah. where you're from there but I I sort of just think of, of of it more as layering or building building a wall or a pyramid and it's like that brick's already in the wall and now we're going to put another one on yeah. top of that we're back to square one to build in this next brick. Yeah, so I've never been too f worried about weekly mileage and things like that. Um, I often, over the years, have kept handwritten training diaries. I've used Strava, like, religiously for little periods and then gone off it for other periods. So, uh, yeah, I think that hasn't affected me too much. Um, but, but I did notice, I think, um, there was a time where I probably 
subconsciously was letting the GPS detract from how much I was enjoying some of my runs. So I did go and I just use a stopwatch now for most of my easy miles up here in the mountains and I just run for effort and duration. So I couldn't tell you how far I ran in my 90 minutes this morning, but I enjoyed it so much more than if I would have had the GPS going and knowing exactly what pace I was going and how far I was running. That's right, because you wrote that post about it. Was that during COVID? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was during- very well received. I remember that. Yeah, I found that, that to be re- really helpful for me at the point I, I was at in my running career. Uh, and particularly, I think living where I do, we've got these am- amazing trails around us, but they're quite rough and they're single trail and they're windy. And so you don't run very fast on them. And so if I was to have my GPS running, it would still kind of irritate me that I might see some six-minute Ks in there, even though the okay. effort effort's the same as a four-minute 30K on the flat that might start to get to me a little bit, or it might mean that as, as I get to an intersection on that run, down to the left is a much nicer place to run. I'm gonna go alongside the river, I'm gonna go through the rainforest, but it's gonna be slower, or a more boring run to the right, but it's gonna look more impressive on Strava. Now that I'm just going by, by stopwatch and effort, I'll run in a much nicer area and not give a shit how slow it is, whereas knowing that other people are gonna see the run, even if I didn't feel like I was bothered by it, I might choose the the right hand path and run a bit faster and yeah so i think that that allowed me to just um not put any pressure on those easy runs and i think we've only got so much mental energy to put into our sessions our Mm -hmm. runs so if you're not wasting any of that on your easy days and your general mileage and your doubles you've got a lot more of that to put into the sessions where you you know you really should be performance focused yeah or just our lives as well like energy's got to go everywhere um, I was talking to someone the other day who didn't like doing out and backs because they were worried about their Strava art loops not looking good. And I was like, you were wasting too much energy on that stuff. Like, give me an yeah. out and back. I actually enjoy out and backs because I only have to think for half of it. And I'm yeah. just like, this is an easy 70 minutes. I'm going to run in one direction or, you know, run somewhere for 35 minutes and turn around because then I feel like my mind can go to other places because I don't have to think about where I'm running anymore. Yeah. And yeah, back to, I love the bit about the stopwatch. Like I'm a huge believer in that. Like just, I still wear GPS and upload everything, but I just have on my easy days, just a stopwatch face showing. And if it's 4.15s or 4.45s at the end of it, that's what it is. And just, yeah, yeah, just don't have any of that data showing. I just noticed as well, like with some of the people I coached who were really trying to squeeze the highest number of miles out of their week or wanted to look, look like they were going, you know, fast and get more kudos. They were starting to avoid hills and and rougher terrain some of the things that have been you know cornerstones of the best runners that our country's ever produced so they were were trying to you know get maximum miles so you might get you know 20k out of a 90 minute run on the flat as opposed to 18k over hills and so they would choose the flat run whereas the 18k over hills would have been far more beneficial so i think um yeah striving for maximum mileage at the expense of, of running over hills was was one of the one of the elements that, that led to me writing that post during during lockdown in addition to you know how much joy i was getting out of um getting off gps yeah do you have rules around like social media and stuff as well where you you know don't check it or don't let it affect you know that whole like comparing to each other's life kind of thing i feel like it's just a massive highlight reel and it can be not great yeah yeah once again, I've never been too bad at that, but one thing that I've noticed recently is I, I use a whole different number of ways to communicate with my athletes. Some of them prefer 
messenger some like instagram messages some are whatsapp but i've found myself like i'll be writing a program and i'll think okay i've messaged this person i better go see what we said and then apply that to the program and so i'll open up instagram for example to check messages to see what we've said and then five minutes later i find myself scrolling like seeing some people arguing in the comments on something it's like, <laughs> up here like why what am i what doing I'm, here what i'm trying to do is move all of my coaching communication to whatsapp and email so that i can delete social media off my phone completely and only use it you know on the ipad if i need to promote something for the business or you know share some photos for family that sort of thing so yeah the comparison isn't too bad but it's so easy to just get distracted, distracted. on so i'm not on tiktok for that reason um but oh, I know mate, some, we're way too old for tiktok aren't we yeah i know some of my athletes will go down you know rabbit holes on tiktok and waste hours of their day so <laughs> yeah yeah, it can't be. I feel for the kids these days. Yeah. There's so many different directions pulling their attention. Yeah. Um, last one for you, Benny. Or oh, two more. Um, what do you use any like resources and stuff? Like it just sounds like, like in this conversation, you kind of you haven't listed anything that you're being like. I do this, this, and this for my mental health. But the things like being outside, being with the dogs, prioritizing family, being organized, like all this put together, not comparing yourself, not giving a shit about Strava splits, all that kind of stuff wrapped up together is why you got a handle on this stuff. But do you use any kind of resources to make sure that you're like, you know, do you meditate or have an app or anything like that that the listeners can be like, oh, I can maybe pursue that, listen to any podcast that talk about this stuff? No, I... I listen to a lot of podcasts, but none that talk about this sort of stuff. But look, if I need cheering up, I'll listen to a comedy podcast, you know, mm. to, to almost distract me from, you know, whatever's getting me down. So I've downloaded some meditation apps and, and things like that. Um, and I've used them once or twice. And, and it's something that I'd, I'd like to explore some more. But um, I, I genuinely think that my meditation is either running or walking with the dogs or going out for a hike. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm reading a book at the moment. I, I was gifted um, The Daily Stoic. Have you seen that one? Yeah, it's from the same uh, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. So Ego is, have you read his other one? Ego is the enemy. No, I haven't. Yeah. He's got a lot of books, but I, I've just read that one. Yeah. What's the Stoic yeah. one like? Well, I've only just started it, so... That was my next uh, question. My final question, what book are you reading at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm actually... I've, so I'm reading that. I've probably got about three books on the go. Um, but I've I've got a whole... Probably not quite rivaling Moose's uh, running book collection, but I've got some classic uh, running books. And so I'm rereading um, the Arthur Lydiard um, program, like his his book. It's, a, it's an old-school... Um, book that I found at a, at a uh, I think I told you this once before, I get some of my books from um, charity stores and so I managed to find this um, Arthur Lydiard book at a charity store which was pretty cool. So yeah, Daily Stoic, the Arthur Lydiard book and I was just reading um, the De Costello on running book from the 80s as well. And Oh yeah, the, I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf now as we're talking. So the Arthur yeah. Lydiard one, is that um, the run to the top? Yeah, that's yep. the one. Because you get them sometimes with no covers on them, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just rip the covers off and sell them. Um, and I, I had read it before, but it's it's funny, you, you know, if it's been a decade between reading oh, it, you yeah. can, you, you've read so much else in between that that what you when you read it again, it means a little bit more to you. Do you find um, 
because this is something I was talking to someone about the other day. My, if I'm in a shit mood, and if I feel like I'm too stressed or too busy or whatever it is, that corresponds with how much I'm also reading. So like if I don't have enough time to, if I'm reading 10 pages a week or 100 pages a week, if I'm reading 100 pages a week, I'm a much happier guy, got shit all covered in my life. Like I feel like my head's above water, I'm cruising, this is all good. Whereas if I don't have time to read, I'm like, I'm way too stressed, there's too much going on, I've, I've committed to too many things and I've got to like almost like cut some stuff out because yeah, yeah that's a great, in, I reckon I could say to Carly now, like just check where my bookmark is and that's what kind of mood I'm going to be in over the next week so do you think you're what's the cause and effect there is it you get too busy so you're not reading and so that yeah or like energy too busy that's that's created the tension or is it that you've stopped reading and and that you're not getting that downtime because you've chosen to stop reading is it is it a time and energy thing yeah that's definitely time and energy like you want to get in bed instead of having half an hour you're like falling asleep after two pages and it feels yeah. like you just, and even like that sense of achievement too, it's just like, then I kind of get down in the dumps that I'm only reading two pages a night, not down the dumps, but it's just like that, what we're talking about Strava before, we like your weekly mileage ticking that kind of off. You're not getting, it's like another aspect of your life where you feel like you're not achieving. And yeah. it's because it's like an over, like I might have had a shocker night with the kids or whatever. So I've got up at, at all hours and then, yeah, you're too tired when you get into bed to read or, you know, teeing up a podcast at night. I always find it hard if you're doing like a, a 7.30 or an 8 p.m. recording kind of thing. So then you're not jumping in bed till 9.30. So you're just jumping straight yeah. to sleep. So I think sleep and my reading rate would definitely impact my mental health massively. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think when I've said yes to too many things, that's when I'm probably at my worst in terms of mental health. When mm. I've, I've just got like, if I've said yes to, and, and things that create anxiety for me, uh, like public speaking or anything on camera um, or, you know, things that push me a long way out of my comfort zone. Like I'm a big believer in getting out of your comfort zone and, and saying yes to things and trying, you know, for me, try, even things like this, like, you know, I, I a long time ago was, too afraid to get up and talk in front of you know five people but i've sort of pushed myself really you do it so well though yeah but i you know um i did some commentating for the sydney marathon uh not the one that just went but the, the, yeah. the year before and i was doing some live crosses out on course and like that was that was one of the toughest weekends i've had in a long time just because I, I got so nervous for it and um i just felt so uh like I angry at my former self like why did I ever say yes to this this is way too far out of my comfort zone um but then you do it and straight away you're like I'm so glad I said yes to this yeah. like um uh, but it's almost like yeah um that anxiety I feel and 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 if I say yes to a few of those things um all at once it, it, it takes so much energy out of me that then I start going back to the spinning plate analogy it's like all those other plates because you've said yes to all this other stuff it doesn't mean that you can just pause all of those other plates so mm. then i go and put put all of that energy into some of these other projects and then you come back and uh yeah you gotta put that extra time back into those other plates just on that like the live cross stuff like was that you had to wing it off the top of your head or were they like we need you to mention this this and this plus you've got to wing this 25 second interview with this person yeah it was it was a bit of both so we were like I would go to different points around the course. We were riding these cool um, electric scooters around the course and then they would say, all right, we want you to sort of start there, walk across there and 
maybe talk about the weather and then say we've got the leaders coming through, blah, 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 and you've just got one take to do it. And it gives you a lot of respect for people who are good at that kind of thing because, <laughs> yeah, I think I scraped by, but, um, yeah, they didn't invite me back to follow <laughs> Al Liz sure. Wellings does it now, doesn't she? She was doing yeah. it this year. It's only because you were racing. That's why you didn't get invited back. Yeah, yeah. And you're pacing as well. One of the Sydney marathons I watched, you were trying to do the pace job, and no one was going with you. Yeah, I've paced it a couple of times. So I've had a good good relationship with Sydney Marathon and Lardy over the years. Yeah, must be huge. Like they must have been stoked with that. Like you'd have some inside word about how um how happy they were and being a Sydney guy. You got they got to tick that box for sure, aren't they? Yeah, I think they're happy with how how much. Um, progress they made from the previous year and how well they're tracking for the candidacy program um, but also got some exciting plans for how they're going to improve it again for next year and, and moving forward as well so um, yeah it's going to be cool to watch uh, last one nothing to do with mental health or maybe it is what are you thinking about the state of athletics road racing at the moment we've seen two marathon world records go down recently um, the the expensive Adidas shoes we're talking last night about, you know, point systems and trying to get people qualified for the marathons and seeing Zatapak, Valencia, Fukuoka, like this mega weekend coming up in two and a half weeks. Like, you take it all in and, like, get excited or you just sit back and observe and, and just worry about you? No, I get excited. I watch, you know, I consume a lot of um, athletics and um track like marathon road marathons like Zatapec man that sounds like it's going to be an awesome night I wish that we'd had like that I was still sort of in in good 10k track shape and could go down and race that so that's going to be an exciting night I'm probably not going to be there in person but I'll be tuning into the live stream um yeah the the marathon world records like I appreciate them but also you know like anyone who sees crazy performances like that I, I have a little bit of um trepidation as to you know how they're running that fast but i'm still able to suspend my disbelief and enjoy the performances um i think like distance running and track and field in australia is on fire at the moment and it's really exciting to be involved as a as a fan but also as a, a coach you know as we build towards a, a home olympics in brisbane um, i was at world cross you know in bathurst I lived in Bathurst, so to see World Cross come to my <laughs> university hometown was awesome. So, no, I, I'm excited by the current state of distance running and, and athletics. Um, I went to the, the World Champs in Oregon. Uh, was that last year? Yeah, so, it was really hot, wasn't it? Trackside for 10 days of, of World Champs um, with my wife, Katie, and her family, um, who are American. You know, they live over in the USA, so we're going to be at the U.S. Trials next year for a family holiday watching the u.s trials for the olympics so yeah i i like i love living out here in the mountains and disconnecting from the outside world often but also very connected and consume a whole lot of um yeah running yeah that go in and out mentality that would be nice as well i like get that a bit living in a country town like you get the most of you know being relaxed and then you can just drive into a race and have that stress of traffic and the big city and then you get to go home yeah, uh, there's a certain point driving back up the mountains where I feel like I've crossed the threshold and I'm <laughs> deeper. And um, yeah, yeah, we're we're very lucky to live out here and and still be able to be connected to Sydney and to to drive in and coach there and yeah, do a lot of my work from this office here. That I look out over the the bush and the backyard and the chooks and a swimming pool and yeah, very very grateful. 
Yeah. Um, this is the actual last one because I've said the last one about three times. But have you got a tip for Zatapec? I saw that Pat Tiernan is coming home today, which I thought was big news. Um, do you know anything about anyone racing? Any juniors? Anyone from your stable to keep an eye out for the listeners? Look, it'll be hard to go past Pat Tiernan. Jack um, Rayner, not giving him a chance? Jack's phenomenal, the Australian record holder. He's been on fire on, on the roads. But, um, yeah, P- Pat Tiernan, I think the the shape he must have been in to get to one lap to go in the race where he, you know, crawled to the finish line. But I feel like he must have been in 26.50 sort of shape to, to be able to be in that race with one lap to go. So if he's anywhere near that at the moment, it would be exciting. Um, and, and he ran a good half marathon. So, yeah. I like that. I was very excited when I saw, saw that pop up today. Awesome, Betty. Um, thanks so much for your time. 55 minutes goes pretty quick when you're talking to you. Appreciate that you were willing to come on for this kind of uh, conversation. Could have easily said no. And, yeah, once again, thanks for giving up some time for the Inside Run podcast. No worries. Thanks, Brady. And, yeah, keep up the good work, mate. Thank you.